Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 316. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we marvel at the magic of Coney Island. I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and after a kajillion years of living in New York City, I finally get Coney Island. I took my kid, um, and the rides there were adorable. The hot dogs were on point. Pair that with a beach? I mean, it's a family day of magic. So my hot take for you this week is that Coney Island, a thing that everyone has known about for decades, you should go. Today, we'll talk about metaphorical hot dogs like Joe Manchin's legislative moves. We'll also ask if teenagers should be getting after school jobs. And finally, are you normal? An online quiz will tell you. Today, today's panel. Oh my God. Joining us for the also kajillionth time um, is, a, is a gentleman. He's so funny. He's so knowledgeable about like literally everything, which makes sense because he's host of the daily podcast, The Gist. It is the one and only Mike Pesca. Hey, Mike. Hello, Nagin. Can I ask you a rhetorical question? I noticed Please. that I noticed that in much of the country, hot dogs are called conies, but not in Coney Island and not in New York. Can you think of any other substance or food that is called the name of a place, but not by the people of that place? 
Oh, I don't yeah. know about hamburger and hamburgers. I'm gonna look well, that up. Well, like when I'm um, when I'm in New York, I call a hamburger a New Hampshire. But when I'm in New Hampshire, I have to call it a hamburger. It's, they're so weird about it. That's right. Give me a double mm-hmm. Nashua with cheese. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the second panelist joining us today for her very first time. She's an artist. She's a comedian. She's a writer. I mean, first of all, I already can tell that she's just a a wonderful hang. I mean, it's obvious. Um, But she's also host of the weekly Twitch show called Mary Houlihan's Painting Party, thusly named because we are joined by the one and only Mary Houlihan. Hey, Mary. Hello. Hi. Oh, my gosh. So excited to have you both on. Congrats on Pony Islands. That's huge. (laughs) (laughs) It's huge to, like, finally understand the glories of it. You know what I mean? I would go to the beach, but I'm not a rides person. But now that I have a, a kid, it's like I still don't go on the rides obviously but I love to see her having fun on them and it's just great it's just so fun we went into arcade I mean the games come on it's so fun everyone I love commotion at the beach not everyone does some people like quiet beach I think you need to mix it up I think you should have commotion beach days and then you should have quiet beach days and both of those are valid (laughs) well before we get into the show I want to just remind people that they can enjoy extra episodes of the show by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Um, you get free extra episodes. A new one is coming at you. Um, very, oh, this this week there's a new one. Um, I don't even remember what it's about, but I but I know that it's fantastic. This is, I'm selling it so well. But for as little as $4 a month, you could support this show. Thank you so much to everyone who does that. It's It warms my heart um, every single month. It really, really does. So thank you so much. And you can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Now, let us get into it with topic number one. Joe Manchin, a senator that we have shit upon many times on this podcast because he has been American democracy's wettest of blankets, is actually making some legislative moves. Let's start by talking about the Electoral Count Act. Um, Basically, we've been living under this 1880 law that could let that would let like the vice president fucking shenanigans up the entire election if he so choosed that was the loophole that um that trump was trying to um take advantage of uh which also part of the reason that led to the january 6th insurrection um that's one of the things the electoral count act would do mike pasco what do you think of the of this legislative move well, I think most Americans were clamoring to undo the wrong that Roscoe Conkling imposed on us in 1880. <laughs> I think that was, as I listened to America on my listening tour, that's what they're talking about. So to talk about that act first, uh, it's a necessary reform, but it's far from sufficient to guard our democracy. And, you know, the history of it is no one, no one actually talks about this, but Rutherford B. Hayes beating Samuel Tilden was a horror, an abomination in terms of, in terms of overturning the just result of an election. It shouldn't have happened, but the compromise of 1877 let it happen through electoral chicanery. And I have to say, if you're like, well, who cares? The entirety of, uh, crushing the Reconstruction era and building the South as maybe a place where former slaves could have rights, that was pretty much scrapped after Rutherford B. Hayes beat Samuel Tilden. So it does have big big consequences. And and uh, authoring or, you know, over 
uh, undoing the uh, wrongs of that act uh, are necessary, but there's still so much and we could get into, you know, this new Supreme Court case more where there's this crazy theory that, oh, maybe legislatures, legislatures could just throw out the will of the people. The Supreme Court could let that happen and there's nothing the Senate could do about it. That part of it needs to be done. And the Manchin part of it, I applaud Joe Manchin, a man who is a senator from a Trump plus 39 state for doing anything. And today he did something. So let's give him a hearty round of applause. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, maybe the um, emotional pressure um, or maybe the accolades he gets. This is what it is. It's positive affirmation and will positive reinforcement will get Manchin to do even more. So applaud, applaud. Um, our new queen, Joe. Uh, Mary Houlihan, what did you think of this? Um, uh, I'll just let you know one more thing about the Electoral Count Act. It ensures that state legislators can't appoint electors after Election Day in an effort to overturn their state's election results, which I think is a nice one. Smart, um, it gives Yeah, right. It gives states additional time to complete legitimate recounts and litigation. Um, It ensures that electors appointed by state reflect the popular vote results in that state. That feels important. Mary, what did you think? Oh, my goodness. Well, honestly, Mike took the words right out of my mouth. That's basically everything I was going to say. and You were going to say a bunch about Roscoe Conklin? I was going to be talking about Rutherford B. Hayes and yes, how that was an abomination. And then I was like, oh, that was my oh. anecdote. I know. It's so frustrating when that happens. No, I think my, uh, my layman's take is the <laughs> same thing as you're saying, Nagin, but for real, like uh, this is a step in the right direction for Joe Manchin to uh not be obstructing and give it up for the guy i guess yeah for real by the way he was joined by lisa murkowski in this effort um and in uh another thing it does the bill does it makes it harder for congress to question results so like you would need a much higher threshold of people to question results and it may and there's something about not threatening election workers in there um which i think is (laughs) also a thing that we've now right we because it's like we didn't think we needed to say it but we we did need to say it it's like the announcement on the bus or the subway you know harassing the driver is a crime really i needed to be told that and it's like i wasn't (laughs) thinking about it but now right okay and so here so now you thought joe manchin was up to by the way it looks it looks good for that bill i mean as as of the reading that I've read. We're taping early this week on a Monday, so let's see what happens. But so far, everything I've read, uh, Manchin said something like, this will pass, you know, so let's see. Uh, Manchin dropped a second act last, just uh, late last week, which is the Inflation Reduction Bill. Basically, Republicans thought it was dead in the water. This is the reconciliation budget, the budget reconciliation bill. Now, it looks so everything looks so bad, but suddenly inflation reduction bill, which is on um, inflation reduction is our new way of saying climate bill. OK, because it is I want to say mostly a climate bill. Um, but Joe Manchin isn't allowed to say the word climate. He's allowed to say inflation reduction. Um, and so here's a couple things it'll do. Three hundred eighty five billion dollars will go into combating climate change. Um, it plans on reducing carbon emissions by roughly 40 percent by 2030. Um, there's incentives for private industry to produce far more renewable energy. There's incentives for solar and um, incentives to transform household consumption. Uh, Mike, what did you think of this inflation reduction bill? 
Well, it's not, but if you want to brand it that, Joe, <laughs> go ahead. You know, if you want to brand it uh, eliminating the designated hitter bill, if that's what gets you to pass it, no problem. The first bill that we were talking about, that wasn't really a mansion deal, and he wasn't holding it up. Angus King was driving the uh, train on that, and uh, Lisa Murkowski. So there's an independent, there's a Republican. This was all stopped at the uh, finger in the dam that was called Joe Manchin. And that's why everyone was trying to damn Joe Manchin. But I do understand that this is a guy who is not going to be motivated by giving incentives for people to buy Teslas and electric vehicles. Why? Uh, I did some research recently. The state of West Virginia has apparently 500 electric vehicles, the whole state, okay? California, bigger state, has a quarter of a million electric vehicles, just on a per, but it doesn't have uh, the uh, proportionate population. No one in West Virginia knows or cares about West uh, electric vehicles. They all care about keeping coal. So Joe Manchin has to do something that at least to his people says, I am not going to decimate the coal industry. And by the way, industry and the pace of life is going to decimate the coal industry no matter what I do. And uh, it doesn't, all these things that the Democrats want, anything that AOC clamors on about, I know you're allergic to that, West Virginians, but the one thing that you could hang your hat on is something like inflation reduction. We'll call the bill back, we'll call the bill that. And the other big thing it does besides the climate stuff, speaking of necessary, but insufficient, but absolutely necessary, it addresses poor of the tax code that we're really getting out of whack. And it's both a way to raise money and it's a really good selling point for the bill. So Joe Manchin can say, you know, the Republicans passed a bill which bought brought Amazon's corporate tax rate, if they wanted it to be, to zero, we're going to raise it up so that they have to pay some taxes and not what the Republicans wanted to bring it down to, which was, you know, a 20, a 15% tax rate. We'll just raise it up to a 21% tax rate. No West Virginian, no American, no one except people in the corporate suites or the investment class of those yeah, companies are going to Yeah, don't want that to happen. Right, yeah. right. I mean, and it's right. So $470 billion are going are to come through these new tax provisions. The largest chunk of that is what Mike's talking about is this increase in corporate taxes. It's the largest increase in decades. Um, and it's just so sexy and exciting to me. I love that. And again, like Mike was saying, who doesn't love taxing corporations? Mary, what do you think about pay- how they're paying for this? I'm a huge fan of taxing corporations, personally. I know, kind of unique. (laughs) I'm reading this, and I'm like... I'm like, this is very nuanced, and it seems like he's being thoughtful. But it's, it's, not that it's not that it's even nuanced, just that it's it's good news, and you don't actually ever hear good news. Um, but I do think that's important for us to... And look, I understand that if you're AOC, this is not the best news. And that if you're me, a progressive, you're not... This is like... Obviously, this news could be even better, but like, right. you know, or like you would have like, wanted it a couple of months ago. If or, I if I yeah. if my goal is to lose 10 pounds, but I only lost five, am I going to just be like, fuck you, five pounds? I'm gaining you back. <laughs> right. no, like, yeah. that doesn't make sense. You're so, the classic um, spite five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the spite five. Um, the the other thing that the bill does, I should mention, is that it allows Medicare to negotiate the price of prescription drugs, which is another one of those things that every American um, in my. Minus 
um, you know, pharmaceutical companies have wanted to make happen, right? No one, it, no one has been like, you know what? I think the rising price of prescription drugs is awesome. No, nobody feels that way. So the fact that it's taken us this long to let this provision happen is insane. But I mean, that that will happen in this bill, and it also will keep down the cost of healthcare for millions of Americans, especially you know those that use um, uh, Obamacare. So the bill does a lot. And it's real fun. And I think it's, um, you know, I don't know, Mike, would you just if you want to close us out here? um, But, you know, I would like to end on a rejoicing note. But is there anything that could go wrong? Because, like I said, we're taping on a Monday. They're going to go into recess soon. I don't know how this works. This might might not happen immediately, but it has to happen by some point in September, I think. So what do you think? Yes, something could go wrong, and she is a senator from Arizona named Kirsten Cinema. She wasn't really consulted in this deal, and I don't know if you uh, noticed, but she has the distaff pleasure of being uh, Joe Manchin sometimes, uh, yeah, as the person does. as the person who comes in and kills bills. And then remember when you said no one's against the prescription drug proposals? Nah, I don't know if uh, Cinema would fall into that no one camp, but I do think that but it's uh, the wild. Democrats. Yeah, the Democrats are massively incentivized to pass this bill for a number of reasons. And even if it's not the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, you as a progressive wanted more. I, as a moderate, was, I'm convinced that the last huge round of stimulus did cause some of the inflation. And you don't want to do that again. You don't want to give Republicans a talking point. You don't really want to do it again. So I like this more modest bill. It's not exactly modest in the ways, right? The cut of the cloth isn't exactly to my taste as a tailor. But still, it's good that we don't have a massive billowing garment. I think the branding is impeccable. That's what's really wowing me because like we always think about, you know, like free health care and cheap shit as like everyone should like this. What's the problem? But there's so much, you know, like Democrats are trying to give you free stuff. Do you really want to be communist? You know, it makes people go crazy. So I don't know. I'm like reading this and it sounds kind of sick to me because it's more phrasing stuff in terms of like, mm, how is this in the best interest to view a person in West Virginia who your family works in the coal well, industry? Well, like if, you, if your mom is takes prescription drugs and she's yeah. on Medicare, guess what? Those those costs will come down because of this negotiation power. And also, Kirsten Cinema, you know who has old people on Medicare? Arizona. <laughs> Arizona. Arizona, folks. My God. Okay. Well, let me, let's, I mean, look, all we can do now is just see what happens um, because we're still early in the process. You know, there's a deal right now. Like you said, Kirsten Cinema is a who knows, um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I, but there's, there's very high hopes on this one. Okay. Here we go. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into other stuff. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational 
app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. back. And before we get into topic number two, I just wanted to remind you guys uh, that we have been nominated in the People's Choice Podcast Awards for Best Political Podcast and Best Asian Hosted. Um, and so you can now vote for us. You go to podcastawards.com. Again, that's podcastawards.com. And click on click here to vote. Literally, there's a big blue thing that says click here to vote. And in those two categories, you can vote for Fake the Nation. There's a bunch of other HeadGum podcasts that are up for the job. Um, Best Comedy, for example, Doughboys has been nominated. Best Music, Punch Up the Jam has been nominated. Best Male Hosted, If I Were You has been nominated. And by the way, I've been on all three of those shows. So it's like <laughs> voting for Fake the Nation multiple times. Wow. Again, but, congratulations. Um, it does take like two seconds of you do have to put in your email. I know none of us like that, but it that part takes two seconds. And then you can, again, um, vote for uh, Fake the Nation under Best Political and Best Asian Hosted. Do they and have a Best Persian Hosted? There and I'm waiting for that. I'm now I'm lumped into best Asian hosted, but until we get to you know, I'm gonna say it'll take a few more decades before there that becomes a category. The population is large enough. Um, well, you know, for my money, Nagin, you are my favorite <laughs> Asian podcast host. Thank you so much. Um, all right, let us move on to topic number two. 
We read a piece in The Times mm. by Pamela Paul called The Best Curricular Might Be an After-School Job. And as the title suggests, she makes the case for why after-school jobs might be a good idea even for kids who don't technically need the money. Now, before we get into her argument, I just wanted to see um, what is your relationship with the after-school job. Mary, have you ever had one? Um, what did, were yes, your thoughts? Yes. What is your What is your relationship with the world of um, after-school jobs that require very low skill? <laughs> Well, okay. So I remember going into all the chains, into Dairy Queen and Dunkin' and saying, Hi, can I get a job? And you have to get a note from your school saying that you are legally old (laughs) enough to work in the state of New Jersey. And um, then I ended up not working at a chain, but uh, a musical instrument uh, rental place nearby. And they paid me in cash under the table. And I was so bad at the job. And I'm a young person. (laughs) Everything was so old. And like... It was the kind of thing. What do you thing, mean? Like they operated on like pa- like paper, handwritten receipts, like yes, that kind of it thing? Was handwritten or they receipts. rented harpsichords. Mostly. It was harpsichords, <laughs> handwritten receipts. And then also <laughs> that thing where you have to do like a black carbon copy of someone's oh, credit the, card. Oh, credit card machine. And then like, like the dial medieval rack. through yes. the phone and like. Wait, this was in the 2000s yes. already? <laughs> this wow. was like 2006 probably. And so I was messing up everything all the time. (laughs) But it was great fun. I liked it. (laughs) I feel like you kind of got extra, like a cool after school job because it had to do with musical instruments. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Mike, what's your relationship with after school jobs? Well, if Mary was in uh, King Toots in the world of The Simpsons, I was in the Android Dungeon. <laughs> I, w- I worked in a baseball card store, and it was great. And I didn't even Wait, love baseball cards. Wait, a baseball cards. card store? Yeah, mostly mostly baseball where? cards, some other sports collectibles. It was uh, a couple blocks from where I lived on Long Island in Baldwin, New York. I did not need a note from my high school. Then again, I wasn't operating complex Dairy Queen flurry machinery. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was wondering if it was Joker's Child in New Jersey, but no. No. Oh, I like that. Based right at right after haircut place where everything is, you know, cuts and cuts and giggles. Baseball card stores almost always have pun yeah. names. So yes, Joker. Child, Android Dungeon. But it was great. And in reflection on this piece, I thought back to all the people I know who had after school jobs in high school or worked during the summers and those who didn't. And, you know, we were all of, when I think of my friends or the people I know um, from college, we're all of similar social milieus. But the ones, which is, say, you know, somewhere in the middle class, but the ones who had the jobs and were decent at them. I don't know if it was because of the jobs. Probably it was more the kind of personality that would uh, strike the kind of personality that would inspire you to get a job. They're more industrious, I think, and they're more serious, and they know how to work those stupid credit card machines. So I would I would vote in favor of those after-school jobs. Well, I'd say 80% of my friends had jobs. Like, I don't – I can't even – I'm trying to think of one that maybe didn't have a job. Like, I am having a hard time pulling one that did not have a job. Everybody had a job. Everyone, there. It's funny because the one weird, hilarious job that a lot of my friends had was I myself. By the way, was had a really, really boring after-school job. In in college, I picked up the level of interesting. In high school, though, I did filing jobs in offices for a couple of offices. I would go and I would clean up their files. 
else. It was like incredibly boring. But but in college, I, I was, you know, a shop clerk, a, a waitress multiple times, a barista, poster person, more waitressing. I was a tutor. I was a DVD rentals clerk, which was my favorite. So I did a lot of these kinds of jobs, you know, once I, I turned 18. And then the dominant job that my friends had in high school was at the Marriott the Marriott Desert Springs. Um, sorry, the Marriott. Is it called Desert Springs? Maybe it's called the Desert Springs Marriott. Is that yeah. the one in Arizona? No, no, in in Palm Springs, California. Okay, okay. Um, but it's actually in this in the in Rancho Mirage, which is right next to Palm Springs. Um, it had a little fake like river that ran through the property. And the the ridiculous thing about this river is that you basically would ride these little boats to go from the main lobby to like where your restaurant reservation was, okay? And then, or to like to like a different part of the golf course or something like that, right? It's on a golf course. So a ton of my friends living and growing up in the desert had jobs as boat skippers in the Marriott Desert Springs um, Hotel. And it's hilarious because it's such a... It's not, it's a, such a short distance. The the boat was like, you know, it was all for show. Like it was just completely. I hope the tips were good. You mentioned golf. <laughs> I honestly can't say that they were tipped. Hmm. I feel like they just boat skippered people to these little destinations and there was not very much of a tipping culture involved in with the boat skippers. You know, obviously the golf caddies and stuff had, were, had a different story. But then, you know, a lot of my friends were golf caddies. Um, among your friends, was there a bifurcation of among the seafaring folk, the river people and the land lovers <laughs> with, with the uh, skippers <laughs> just talk? Arg, I can't stand these Well, I mean, they all had peg legs, so we yes. all knew when they were coming. <laughs> um, but I, it was so, I, I always, I look back on it, I just always thought it was weird. Also, a lot of my friends worked at the movies. So, and it, and it, and it, and it makes sense, right? Because like one friend will get a job working at like a movie theater and then they'll be like oh, I'll get you a job and then another kid would get a job and so then it would just be like all of my friends mm-hmm. but, you know and I would get into some movies for free not trying to get oh, anyone yeah. in trouble but so this article um so by the way the number of of kids like when I like I said when I in the 90s everybody had an after school job um now that was in the 80s Around half of 16 to 19-year-olds had jobs. That actually even sounds low to me just based on my own experience from the 90s. But that number started to steadily decline. Um, and now, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nowhere near the same. And part of it is the pressure of having extracurricular activities. Um, just the, the spirit of having an after-school job is different. I don't know. What, what, is, what does it mean now to have an after-school job, Mike? Yeah, I think what you're putting your finger on, and the article is, is that the the metrics that the meritocracy measures do not include things like after-school jobs. And as we've trended more towards um, just surrendering to the human algorithm that is meritocracy, having those items on the high school application or college application from high school doesn't even matter, right? You wouldn't even put down your job in the movie theater right. or Baskin-Robbins. And that's probably the trend that's driving that. And it's a, it's a bad trend. It's um, a trend that values, you know, some resume item where the person doesn't even care or commit to the, the love of the after-school activity. And it doesn't necessarily even show 
show that you have um, commitment that will tra- that will make your college a better place if you're in the third or fourth club rather than having an extra school job. But you wouldn't even write down after school job to try to impress uh, an Ivy or quasi quasi Ivy League institution. Right, which is an easy fix on those applications because they do think that they should know of the way that a person juggles their time. You know what I mean? I think that's really relevant in a college application. Mary, what do you think? Um, how, how do you take the unpopularity of the after-school job? I feel same. I think um, when I was in high school, it was already at that level of like, if you don't have a million clubs, um, you know, pick a trade, bitch. <laughs> Like, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's pretty egregious. I hate colleges, <laughs> and uh, I think it definitely favors, I don't know, just, like, pampered children who, like, don't have to work and their parents can drive them to sports or to freaking crew or whatever. Like, I don't know. I think it's garbage. And I don't know. I think a kid who has a job, they have like way better like life skills. And as someone who did sports, um, it sucks. Like it's competitive, obviously, by nature of sports. There's grown ups like losing their shit all the time, which is like traumatic <laughs> and insane. I mean, I guess that probably happens at Baskin Robbins too, but. <laughs> Well, there's less parental, you know, coming to see how you do the job. Yeah, you know, I think so that, like yeah. an after-school job. <laughs> I, run, I want my road rockier, damn it. <laughs> I think it makes you more independent and like better at existing in the world, which again in the world, makes for a right, better student. Which I think is yeah. It, well, right. And I think that's something that the article drives at. There's a lot that you can learn, like being at school doesn't mean being good at work. And that's something you're driving at, Mary, which is the like gives you like a, a thing, a sense of what it means not to be at school, but to be around real people that are like living in the world and what that mm-hmm. means. Is there something that either of you learned from your jobs um, that was a, a valuable lesson that you think that you carried through your life? Yes, I had, this was, uh, when I was in college, I was a bartender, and I remember there was not a tool that we had. I forgot what it was, maybe some sort of knife for making the garnishes. And I would say to my boss, the manager, hey, we don't have this tool. And then the next day I'd come and say, hey, we still don't have this tool. Can you get this tool? Whatever it was, this knife. And the third day he said to me, look, you're right. I should get the tool, but I didn't. But this is your job. And so maybe you should go out and get the tool and say to me, hey, I got that tool. And then I'll feel a little chastened, but you'll have the tool. You'll address your own problem. It's an analogy that stuck with me for many years. Yeah, that's nice. Mary, do you feel like you learned something from uh, musical instrument rentals? No. No. But I mean, interestingly, I feel like you did. One of the things that she talks about is, um, which one is this? It's... um, you learn, no, 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 you're, it's the, there was one in the article about like learning how to be around people that aren't like yeah, you totally. and right. you were around a bunch of old like processes, yes. right? And so, and you had to adapt. And I feel like that's something um, that you've probably, you know, without consciously thinking about it, you have carried through your life. No, it's totally true. And you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, Something that was cool about that job is it was like in suburban New Jersey in like a commuter town. So a lot of the people that taught lessons there 
were professional musicians or like aspiring professional right. musicians and they like would live in New York and then like take the bus to New Jersey because it was like some music related job they could find you know it's like people right. in their 20s um who maybe like do shows at night and I think exposure to like those kinds of people was probably yes cool just to like absorb through osmosis like oh this is like a life that I could have that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise I think one of the things I learned from my uh, minimum wage jobs was first of all like I remember when I got my first uh you know not not from filing cabinet stuff because that wasn't very formal like um I was paid in cash as well but in the when I when I had my first job that was like through a payroll and the taxes and all of that stuff I remember thinking like wow I really had to work my ass off to get this what looks like meager check. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was one huge lesson at like, you know, um, when I was a barista and then I, and I was a bar back for a while. Um, I think one of the things I learned early on in those jobs that are really like public facing, you have to deal with a large volume of people standing in line who can oftentimes be unpleasant, often, but who are sometimes unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And I think what it taught me is like, de-escalation because people would get like mad that something wasn't available or whatever and then I just sort of learn how to like sweet talk my way into making them feel okay about the thing not happening or not being available and that I feel like is a is something that's been so useful for me Mm -hmm. um all through life as someone who's also done a bunch of like activism who's like been this like you know uh you know uh dirtbag comedian slash muslim going on the road being you know um a little pretty loud about being muslim in you know in 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 cities and states that don't like necessarily have any of those or or treat them kindly so i feel like that particular skill has really stuck with me um and i think it's something i really developed doing all these like waiter barista kind of jobs um you know because i had to deal with so many people yeah and i think being around the unpleasant people is also good because it teaches you just to like surrender yourself to like some people are crazy (laughs) like yeah yeah don't take it personal don't let it ruin your day like they're just it's on right, a exactly. different level. <laughs> yeah, it's do it's not yeah. about you. Right. And I'm sure you were saying to yourself, Mary, one day we'll just be able to insert chips in these card oh readers my God. and I won't be all upset <laughs> about the manual yeah. uh, medieval rack. But it wasn't that <laughs> if only everyone would be happy about renting their trombones and fights. Yeah, guess what? Yeah, turns out that did not change people's happiness levels. Um, all right, folks, check out this piece. I really loved it, and and let me know where where you are. I have I, I have a friend who's who grew up extremely wealthy, um, and she was very self aware that like a lot of her friends had after school jobs, and she literally said to her mom like, "Obviously, mom, we don't need the money, and I'm going to donate it, but I need to go get a job at the Gap folding shirts." And she did. She did that for some months because she really was like. Like I, I, it's, it's. I'm embarrassed that I don't know this world, you know. And but that, I mean, that takes a, what a crazy amount of self awareness for like a 16 year old that she had. But anyways, um, all right. Let check out the piece. Let me know what you think, folks. Let us move on to topic number three. 
There's a new test out there called HowNormalAmI.eu. It's part of a study from Sherpa funded by the European Union. You take the quiz and it helps you figure out how normal you are based on internet algorithms. These technologies are now being used by businesses to see how attractive you are, if you're a good job candidate, your life expectancy, how healthy you are. Um, if you're a shoplifter, uh, we all took the quiz. I think we all took the quiz. Um, and I don't know, do you want to share any of your results? Uh, what did you, you know, what did you think about the experience? I got shoplifter. Mine came back shoplifter. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the end, it actually tells you how average you are. Uh-huh. Um, mine came out quote, violently average. Mine too. 76%. <laughs> Mary, were you violently average? Well, here's the thing. I actually Uh-oh. did the test twice. Yesterday, I okay. did it um, without makeup and <laughs> on my phone <laughs> and in a dim room. Uh-huh. And then today I did it full face of makeup and I think, um, you know, better lighting and everything. So today I'm much less normal and actually very unique. Whereas yesterday I was very Ooh. normal. Ooh, I didn't think that's that's really you know what it's it's funny because I did mine too kind of in a my my test in a state of like you know I just woke up and just let me do this test real quick and get it out of the way kind of Mm -hmm. thing so I did not look my best I am too vain Um, when it started telling me numbers about my looks I was like okay no 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 we don't have to do this because right One, so for listeners, one of the traumatizing things about this test is that it tells you how, like, quote, beautiful you are on a scale of 10, right? Um, and the way that they calculate those are, like, they ask a bunch of, like, teen, you know, they've asked a bunch of teenagers, they show them photos, and they score those photos um, on 1 to 10, and that's how the algorithm is taught what beauty is, right? Um, And these, by the way, again, these are technologies that are being utilized today. Was there something um, in the test uh, that you, now besides the beauty thing, was there anything else in the test that you found shocking? The whole thing was frightening. I was so, oh my, I was (laughs) agape. And then at the end Um, it says like, oh, by the way, you looked sad earlier. Did you guys get sad? What did what expression I got did you sad. get? I got sad. So <laughs> in the beginning of the test, before you formally start the test, they show you like an image of a dog. This is a little bit of a spoiler for people who want to take the test without knowing. But there's a dog and and it's sort of like the image you have to look at while you're waiting for the test to start. That image in itself is a test to see what your sort of resting face is. I got sad as well. Uh, Mike, did you do you remember what you got? Well, for the dog thing, I was just like, why are they showing me dogs? And I started to get very suspicious that it wasn't a test testing what it said it was testing. I said, I know what's going on here. This is a sort of experiment where they say it's one Mm. thing, but then they're using the data for something Mm -hmm. else. But then by the end, I think maybe I was wrong, but then it gave me this look. You guys could see it. Very quizzical, which plummeted my attractiveness score. (laughs) So then to boost my attractiveness (laughs) score, I went and strapped on a Ryan Gosling mask and that put it into the normal there it is. I did not. There I did is. not like being told I was uh, below average of Love attractiveness. That. So Love I that. literally <laughs> sought out another online test, which is more has more data points, and you have to align uh, different dots to where your eyes are that's, and where okay, your chin is. Right. Yeah, and I was when you're gonna die. I forgot about that part. 
Yes. And with mine, I didn't it was like real, that. With mine, it was really weird because it told me the manner of death and who my murderer yes. would be. How does yeah. an algorithm know that? A man named well, Claude with a extra. limp. And now every time I meet a guy named Claude with a limp, you know, by the yeah, time yeah. I hit 81, I'm going to be extra suspicious unless I could somehow wear the Ryan Gosling mask. Oh my mask God, and you're dying suspicion. at 81? I'm dying at 81. <laughs> Wait, I'm dying at 81. Is that just what they say to everybody? All three of us are dying at 81. That's so exciting. No, and then here's the other thing. It can tell you your age based on how much you move your head. I don't know if it's oh, you yeah. move your head a lot than you're that younger. If you move your head a lot. I don't if you're either you're old, I don't know what that means. Um it How is also, it at guessing your guys' age? Well, I knew the um, trick it, because, you know, I'm a psychological scholar and I know that <laughs> Big eyes makes you look young because babies have big eyes, you know, oh, uh, animals that are So cute we need to be opening our eyes real eyes. big. So I was doing this. What? I was putting my chin down <laughs> and trying to make an optical right. illusion. And so at first it was saying I'm 30 and I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so I got it <laughs> down all the way to say that I'm 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just, just by the eye maneuver. <laughs> wow. This is, by the way, just so we're clear, the reason this is being studied by and funded by the European Union is because these technologies are utilized all the time. Mm-hmm. There are cameras now, like, that they can detect... The camera has preloaded basically the images of, I guess, every shoplifter in the world that like will cross-reference those faces with the faces of the people in the store, and so that's a technology that this that this test was um, showing. Um, the the reaction, like for example, to the dog about whether or not you're sad. Um, the reaction to how uh, the stuff about your life expectancy and how healthy you are. Your BMI. <laughs> they detected BMI on this test through, I think, the shape of your eyelids or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, which also, you know, if you're an employer and you can imagine this mattering to you as an employer, you can you can tell if someone is basically healthy if they're going to need a lot yeah. of sick days, mm-hmm. right? If mm, if they're maybe. old. <laughs> or you can if they if you think they might you know you, I think in a, you know in the United States we can't really we can't ask about age but like you can detect mm-hmm. age right with these um with the with these technologies uh do I mean this is the kind of thing that I totally foresee a Europe a California um being like we you can't use any of these in right. in, in in employment mm-hmm. situations what do you think Mike well, the test is conducted by, I think, Dutch researchers. Is that right? They're definitely so. European, European, and they ha- and afterwards the credit cited all the well the overall EU rule and different European nations' rules governing the use of that test. And I have to say, if this were just an app, I wouldn't have done it. If this were just a regular old American right. app company, mm-hmm. I didn't know, Agreed. or or Meta, I'd say absolutely yeah. not because I think you guys are going to be using this material. The uh, fellow who was hosting <laughs> the test said we will not be using this material. Um, outside into the cloud or outside the parameters of this experiment. And I trusted him because he was EU. So that (laughs) that totally says something. I think that right now, I mean, I know that right now, China's a panopticon. Mm -hmm. China is just doing all this stuff as we talk and they're getting facial recognition of everyone and they're keeping tabs on their citizens and punishing dissent. And it seems like 
Um, I could see where this would be good in terms of legitimate terrorism abatement. Actually, I have uh, caught some terrorists in places like uh, London's big train stations, but and they have a huge amount of uh, surveillance in England. But mostly it seems to trend towards the dystopian and being involved in this system is pretty bad for people, which is really weird when the two complaints are, one, this could lead to all sorts of monitoring and suppression, and two, it can't recognize black faces. (laughs) If I was a black person, I'd be like, you know what? Of all the equity and equality we could agitate for- This is a benefit. I'm not putting this in front of the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. Like, let's keep this one uh, That's okay with us, maybe they'll say, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, completely. I know. I I mean, I I mean, Mary, um closes out here in general, what do you think we should be doing? And, and and does it change anything about your personal behavior knowing that this technology is out there? Uh no, to be honest, it makes me feel quite doomed. Uh it's really giving Adam <laughs> Curtis vibes. I felt like I was watching an Adam Curtis documentary where it's like, you know, oh, all of this technology to ruin uh, our lives and society has already is already out there and is already mutating and there's nothing we can do about it and enjoy. <laughs> Just to a- end on a more hopeful Sorry. note than that. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have real quick. close it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fair because I think that was also the point that what the researchers wanted you to, to know is that these, these technologies exist and this is how they can be used and they're like a little scary. Um, and I agree with Mike that, like, China, I mean, will go wild. I mean, you know, uh, Qatar, Saudi, those countries, they don't – they're going to go nuts on these technologies, right? But I do think what's really – what was really comforting – A, I was I was told about this by another journalist, so I was – I felt comfortable taking the test and recommending it to you guys as something that we should do on the show – um, that the European Union was studying, is studying these things. This is like a formal study. And that um, and that they are actually better on privacy mm-hmm. issues. And they're sort of like leaders when it comes to privacy stuff uh, and what this means for the general citizenry. And so I think if they're, you know, making moves on this kind of software, that does bode well because states like New York and California are more likely. And then it just and then it just kind of snowballs from there into like us having better laws around these things. So I think it's an actually hopeful step that it's being looked at seriously um, by uh, by European countries and, and, and that there's actual laws in the books in, in European countries already around privacy. Oh my God, that is the end of the show. And oh, you are so much fun, the both of yous. And so what I would love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to find you and all the wonderful work that you do. Mary Houlihan, where do they do that? Oh, my goodness, Nagin. I had a delightful time. Mike, I had a delightful time. You guys are both lovely. You can follow me on all the social <laughs> medias. Uh, my name is Mary Houlihan. My handle is Mary Houli, H-O-U-L-I-E. And uh, that's my name on Twitch. That's where you can find my painting show. Mike, Pesca, where do they find you? I have no painting show. I paint through word only. It is an audio (laughs) medium. Podcasting, The Gist. Uh, Search The Gist wherever you get your podcasts. 
And you folks know where to find me. This week, I'm actually going to be guest hosting. Wait, wait, don't Woo! tell me. A job that I know Mike has also done. Yeah, you'll have a great um, time. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. So I so tune in to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where I'll be guest hosting for Peter Sagal. And if, in your, if you're in the Chicago area, there may or may not be tickets still available. I actually have no idea. I should have checked in with them. But to ch- look, it, look it up. Let's see what there is. Um, it will be at the Studebaker Theater in Chicago. Um, and also, the season two of Bird Girl is now fully on HBO Max, so you could check it out. There's six episodes for you to um, enjoy, and I think it's just a funny and super ridiculous show in which I play Meredith the Mind Taker, and I love it so much. Um, and also, uh, Not Okay, the movie that uh, dropped on Hulu uh, on Friday. It's now it's now been out for a full weekend, and oh my god, so many of you have been emailing me that you saw the movie, and I'm so thrilled that you did. Thank you so much. Um, it's a really, honestly, a fun movie. Uh, so so check it out. Um, it, it, I think it's really quite well done. Um, again, much respect to Quinn Shepard, who we had on the show uh, last week. Um, and what I would really love to do is thank all the people who make this show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, everyone at HeadGum uh, who makes this show possible and who makes the show a People's Choice Podcast Woo! Award nominee. Don't forget what? to vote. It takes one second. Don't forget to vote. Exactly. Um, and... Uh, uh, you can email us at fakethenation at headgum.com if you have any ideas uh, for segments, if you have any um, races to watch, which we'll get back to next week. And if you have any panelist suggestions, we're always here for all of your ideas. And otherwise, uh, patreon.com slash Nikki to support the show. And we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.